Well, good morning, church. I uh, once again bring you greetings from the south side of the river. Uh, isn't it good to know, in all seriousness, isn't it good to know that right now as we speak, brothers and sisters in Christ all over the greater Austin area are doing exactly what we're doing here today. We're coming and we're laying down our lives and our hearts at the foot of the cross and giving glory to the only one who is worthy of such glory. So I'm, I'm privileged. I'm happy as can be to be back here. I kind of like it when your pastor's gone because every now and then now he's given me this chance to come and to worship with you and to open up God's word with you. Were you here last Sunday? And if you weren't, you should have been. And let me tell you why. I wasn't here last Sunday. You know that. But, but I did go onto your website, and I wanted to see what Matt was up to and where y'all were in the book of Psalms. And, and I thought I'd just kind of skim through last Sunday's sermon, and that was a stupid thought because five or ten minutes into what Matt was doing, I, I was right here in the palm of his hands. Do you remember last, just last Sunday, this platform had a large table, a, a banquet table up here, uh, if you will, and he was in the second part of the 23rd Psalm. And, and again, I was watching, I'll, I'll be candid with you, I was initially watching just to kind of see what it was that he was doing to make certain that I didn't unnecessarily cross over, and then all that fell by the wayside because I believe the Holy Spirit himself was speaking through your pastor to me and to all of us that, that listened to those words that he had to say about that banquet table that Jesus is waiting to prepare for us at that moment in time when we step over the line into eternity to spend life with him forevermore, those of us who follow Jesus Christ. And, and as Matt was teaching, I was thinking, yes, Lord, I want my head anointed with oil. I want that banquet table. And, and then as he wandered down the table just a little bit, I'll go ahead and confess some of my old Southern Baptist roots to you. I was getting a little freaked out because it looked like there was a bottle of wine on the table as well. <laughs> And I thought, well, that's, I'm sure it's just, no, there's a cork in that bottle of wine. And, and as you may remember, as Matt was teaching about that, that psalm, he then pulls the cork off of that bottle of wine, and it looks like there's a big old wine glass, but I'm sure it's just got, no, here comes wine. The man is pouring wine out on a Sunday in church. Can you do that? Well, obviously you can if you're Matt Cassidy. And, and then, of course, my stupidity began to fall by the wayside because I listened to what he was saying. And as he poured that glass, it wasn't just a quarter full or half full or all the way full, but literally my cup runneth over. And I wasn't here in this room, but I bet you could hear a pin drop in this room last Sunday as he taught us about the goodness and the greatness of God. And you're, you're blessed and you're lucky to have him. I'm telling you what you already know, but I just wanted to remind you where we are in this series of Psalms where we're pausing during this summer month and we're trying to remember what it is that God wants to say to us this day. In the summer of 1984, I had a beautiful head of hair. I had a flat belly. I was a college kid just in the midst of my college education at Baylor. And one of my best friends who I'd grown up with here in Austin was a kid named Douglas who was going to UT. And, and Douglas's parents were... Well, his mom lived here in Austin, and his dad lived and worked in Southern California, Newport Beach, California. And Douglas called me right before we began our summer, and he said, Hey, I've got a, an offer you can't refuse. He said, See, my dad has purchased a brand-new Cadillac in Austin 
And he wants this thing driven out to Southern California, and then his old car returned back here to Austin. And I'm going to do it, but I want somebody to go with me. Do you want to go with me and spend a week or ten days on the road and there in Newport Beach, California? Well, I didn't have to pray very long over that, right? I did have to talk to my parents about it because that was the, the proper thing to do, and I do not know what possessed them because they said, sure, go for it. And, and this was kind of nuts at the time because this is 1984. There were no cell phones. I was not in constant contact with mom and dad. They couldn't helicopter over me and make certain that I safely got to Newport Beach and that I was safely there and I safely returned, but off we went. And if you've done this drive, you know what I'm saying is true. You drive and 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 you drive and, you drive and you're still in Texas, right? And so we slept one night in El Paso. Then we got up the next day, and we're driving, and we're driving, and we're driving. And I'm riding shotgun. And, and again, this is before cell phones, and this is before Google Maps or Apple Maps. And, and I remember having this old-fashioned, big, oversized thing called a paper map. You remember? It was a Rand McNally, one of those books that had A to Z in there. And, and we're in Arizona, so I'm sitting here studying the great state of Arizona. And all of a sudden, I looked at Douglas, who was driving. I said, hey, Douglas, Arizona. This is where the Grand Canyon's located. And he's like, yeah. And I said, I've never seen that thing before. And he gives me the double take, pulls off of the next exit ramp and says, you've never been to the Grand Canyon? I said, no, I've never been to Arizona. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. He says, we're going. Now, again, no cell phones. We're not calling Dad ahead in California. See, we might be a day or two late, but he whips it around. We double back some distance. We find some highway that goes due north. And if you know your geography, you drive and you drive, and eventually you get to the Grand Canyon. Well, we were too dumb to realize that this is summertime, right? And motels fill up around the Grand Canyon during the summer, and it's dark as we actually got there. So now we're going to all the various motels looking for a room, and there was no room at the inn until we finally were willing to pay the price at one motel for the honeymoon suite. <laughs> and I won't even go there as to how weird that kind of was to sleep in this honeymoon suite with one of my best friends growing up. But here's what he had said. You see, he's seen this many times before. He said, listen, we're going to get up way early. We're going to beat the sun up, and we're going to be on that south edge or that south rim of the Grand Canyon when the sun rises. And we did just that. And if you've done what I've done, if you've seen what I've seen, you, you can remember that moment. I remember there were people all around the place. We weren't the only ones doing this, but it was quiet. And that sun began to come up over the Grand Canyon, and I saw something that I've never seen before in my life, and honestly, I haven't seen it since. But there was a beauty and a grandeur. It really was awe-inspiring to the point where a guy who's got a whole lot of words in my head and chest, which I do, I remember all I could do was to stand there and look at it, and then with the dumbest line ever, I looked at Douglas and I said, man, this thing is big. <laughs> That's all that would come out of my mouth. This thing is big. And I do remember Douglas looked at me and he said, I forgot how great it was. Did you hear that? I forgot how great it was. How is this possible? See, Douglas has seen the Grand Canyon a number of times. He's been up close and personal with it a number of times, but you can somehow forget how great it is. 
Don't we do that sometimes? Things are out of sight or out of mind, or some time passes in between visits, and you just quite simply kind of forget. And as we talk here this morning, don't we sometimes do that with God? We forget how great He is. In some weird kind of way, we, we become desensitized to His majesty and His wonder. We know it intellectually, like I do that the Grand Canyon is awesome, but I don't have any real daily personal experience with His greatness. What could possibly cause us to forget that God is great? Well, you know, one thing is this, it's circumstances. Our circumstances can cause us to forget that God is great. And this is kind of strange, but when times are going well, when things are great, we tend to forget about how great our God is. I no longer really seem to need him. Those days that you and I have where the sun is on your face and the wind's at your back and all the lights are green and everything's just working well for you, you kind of forget about God and don't seem to need him. You stop praying. You stop reading his word. But everything you seem to do still seems to kind of work out okay. You know, the opposite of it is also true. When times are hard, when times are really, really tough, the greatness of God is often far from our minds. But instead, you were consumed by the difficulties of life and pain and confusion and worry and anxiety just overwhelm you. And to be brutally honest, it, it's hard times like those that sometimes cause us to have a real hard time believing that God is great. If he's so great, then why is this happening to me? Or even worse, if, if he is so great, then why is this happening to my child or to my loved one or to my spouse? Our circumstances can cause us to forget that God is great. And not just our circumstances, but time away from him can also cause us to forget. Like time away from the Grand Canyon affects our view of its greatness, the same is true with God. And notice it doesn't change the truth at all, but it sure can cause me to forget. See, the truth of the matter is, is the Grand Canyon is awesome whether I remember it or not. And the truth of the matter is, is that God is great whether I remember that or not. Yeah, I'm convinced that we can't stand in his presence and also forget how great he is. But if we disconnect from him, if we separate ourselves from him, if we try to ignore him or push him to the back of our minds or put him on the bottom of our priority list, you'll soon lose sight of how great he really is. So I like to ask myself kind of simple and stupid questions at times. So then what do I look for? How do I know if this may actually be happening of me? And, and there's a couple of litmus tests or a couple of little warning signs that I think of as it relates to this subject. And one is this. It's quite simply disobedience. One way to know that you've forgotten how great our God is is when you disobey. See, again, it's hard to be keenly aware of how majestic God is and then ignore his commands at the exact same time. So if your life or if my life is consistently characterized by disobedience to his word, you've forgotten how great God is. It's not just disobedience, but again, fear and anxiety. It's something I've already alluded to. Another telltale sign that you're forgetting how great God is is when your life is consistently marked by worry 
and fear and anxiety, when you're constantly racked by the troubles of the world, when you have a hard time focusing on anything other than all of the hardship that is very real and very true, you've probably forgotten how great our God is. If somebody's asked to describe you or describe me and, and words keep coming out of their mouth that, yeah, I know Clay, he's, he's kind of an anxious guy or he's really uptight and worried all the time, yeah, I've probably forgotten how great God is. And then finally, another little litmus test, and this one's a little bit strange, but it's, it's arrogance. It's a strange sign, but think of it through with me. When I act as though I have him all figured out, I've forgotten how great God is. When I believe I have all the answers about our Lord, when I have all the answers about faith and about life, when I have all the answers about you and how you ought to live your life and how you ought to behave and how you ought to think and how you ought to feel, I've forgotten how great God really is. So what do you do then? If any of this is familiar, if this resonates at all with you, what do you do if you find yourself maybe forgetting about God? Well, I believe simply we do what the faithful of old have done in the past. We go and we remind ourselves about him through his written word. We are going to center our life on truth and on the right things. And today, Psalm 145 is going to help us do just this. The 145th Psalm is going to give us this beautiful vision of what is glorious and what is lovely and what is enduring. The 145th Psalm is going to help lead us into the very center of the ultimate reality, and that is the truth about our God. And so today we're going to study this passage, and we're going to briefly look at and see, and we're going to recall his greatness, and we're going to recall his graciousness, and we're going to recall him as our king. And so I'm going to read all 21 verses of the 145th Psalm. If you have your Bible with you, follow along with me. If you've got it on your device, I think the scripture will also be up on your screens, but let's follow along where David writes this song and he says, I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Verse 10, all your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. 
He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The first thing I want to focus on again this morning is I want you, I want me today to remember this very basic truth. Our God is great. I know in May of this year, your pastor and your elders, y'all walked through during the month of May some of the characteristics or the attributes of God. And they're well written about and well taught about for, for centuries the very characteristics and attributes of God. And today is a quite a simple one, but it's a profound one. Our God is great. In verse 3, David reminds us, Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. When we think of the greatness of God, you've got to remember these very basic truths. See, God is unlike us. He is incomparable. He is immense. And here King David tries as best he can to capture a little sense of awe and wonder as he wrote this song. See, God alone is all-powerful, and his might is beyond all comprehension. I've grown up in a church since my earliest memories. I don't remember not being a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful testimony, I'd like to say, in some ways. Uh, that's just all that I've known. And I've grown up in a family and have a family legacy of folks that have grown up always knowing and following Jesus Christ. And if that is even remotely like you, I think you'll understand what I say, that sometimes I think that I have to unlearn things about God. Because over time, I've found that I create him to look like someone who he's really not. He begins to look a lot like me. He begins to look a lot like us or how we think he ought to look. But the truth of the matter is, is the God of the Bible fits no clean categories. He breaks the mold. See, our God strides around from mountaintop to mountaintop like the great king that he is. And sometimes he leaves behind smoldering wreckage when he does that. See, our God does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he gives us no explanation for his conduct. He's not afraid of bad publicity or of bad press. Our God's self-confidence has no boundaries. He doesn't worry about not looking good. He doesn't worry about being misunderstood. See, our God has no worries. There are no systems of checks and balances on our God, and he does not always make sense. I think often when we view God, we have this weird kind of schizophrenic, split personality-like idea about him as though there is this God of the Old Testament Who's, who's hard and he's tough and he's mean and he's vindictive and he's just looking for an excuse to obliterate somebody. But then we have the sweet Jesus in the New Testament. And he's kind and he's soft and he's gentle and he's merciful and he's compassionate. The truth is, is that our God is really, really complicated and he's really, really complex. He has multiple layers and facets and sides. He's untamed. He's unpredictable. He is unchanging. He was wild with Moses and Pharaoh and he is just as wild today. He is a fierce God who bows to no one. He acts like he owns the entire universe. 
I want you to listen to this. He really, really believes that he is the most magnificent, the most majestic, the most glorious, the most beautiful, the most awe-inspiring being in the entire universe. And then he demands, he demands that he alone is to be given glory, that he alone is to be given honor, that he alone is to be worshipped. Our God is a great God. Amen? Second thing I want you to remember is not only is that he is great, but he's gracious. See, our God is great, but he's gracious. David says it to us. Look again in verses 8 through 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And then down again in verse 15. The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways, and he's kind in all of his works. We can trust in the goodness and the graciousness of our God, even in the midst of terrible times. I don't know if you've heard of this expression, but but I've been reading a lot about this, unfortunately, lately. But there are many who believe that today in the United States, we are living in literally an epidemic of despair. That word is intentionally chosen. Mental health experts and physicians and counselors and pastors and folks that study and watch and observe the state of the human condition have concluded we literally are in the midst of an epidemic of despair. Do you realize in the United States today, there's only three causes of death that are on the rise? Every other cause of death in our country is declining except for three. And one is suicide. And one is overdose on opioids. And then the third, strangely enough, relates to Alzheimer's disease and that that awful condition. We live in an epidemic of despair And I was reminded of it just this past week or so when my wife and I, who we grew up together and had a sweet friend that we grew up with, uh, elementary school and junior high and high school and college, and and one of those friends that you'll have as one of your best friends until the day that you die or he dies. And in this instance, it was him who ended his life all too short. I may be 54 years old, but that's too short of a life, especially for a sweet man like whom we buried just this past week. And the circumstances surrounding his death were awful and were horrible and terrible. And my wife and I were in that same funeral home that many of you have been to there on Central Lamar at about 32nd Street. And there were followers of Jesus in the room, and my friend who died had trusted in Christ, but there were also many people present who didn't. Have you been there before? Have you seen the difference between the man or woman who trusts in Christ in the midst of that day? And have you also seen the difference with the man and woman that doesn't even know that he's real? I tasted that very day this epidemic of despair where people in the midst of this darkness are wondering, God, if you were so good, then how could you allow this man's mind to be so racked with despair that his life would end the way that it did? What I can testify based upon a faith in God is this. 
He is not only great, but he is exercising his perfect goodness to each and every one of us every moment of every day. Psalm 145 reminds us that our God is a great God, but he's a gracious God. He's not just a gracious God, but he's also, thirdly, he's king. Look in verses 11 through 13. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. We saw it in the very first one where he says, I'll extol you, my God and my king. He is king over all, and his kingdom has no end. His rule is eternal, but it's also tender at the same time. He doesn't crush us like he could, or maybe he should, but instead, the Scripture teaches us he lifts us up. He is our God. He is great. He is gracious, and he is king. Isn't it good to remember things like this this very day? And we stand in a really neat spot in that we get to see and know about something that King David didn't get to see. And it's this, we get to see God's greatness and his graciousness and his power in the very person of Jesus Christ. For the scripture teaches us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus fully demonstrated to you and to me exactly what type of God God is. He's a Jesus kind of God. So as we remember his greatness and his graciousness and his kingship, let's not forget to remember Jesus. And as I thought about it leading up to today, I thought, how, how do you remember Jesus? And, and I, I went to one of the Gospels, and the Gospel of Mark is an example. In chapters 4 and 5, it won't take you five minutes to read those two chapters in the Gospel of Mark. And I was just trying to remind myself, teach me again, Lord, who you are and what you were like when you were physically walking on this earth. And you know what we see in chapters 4 and 5 of Mark? We see a Jesus who when a raging storm is present on the sea, wakes up and with three words, peace, be still, he can calm a storm. Such that even his disciples asked, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? We remember a Jesus who comes upon a man possessed with demons, living literally in a graveyard, acting like a wild animal, totally out of his mind, and he encounters Jesus, and he is freed, and he is liberated, and he is healed, such that the Scripture teaches us the next time we see him that the Word says that we find him fully clothed and in his right mind, and he's worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And he's saying, wherever you're going, that's where I want to go too, until Christ tells him, no, you need to go tell your family and those around here all the great things the Lord has done for you. This is the Jesus that we remember. This is the same Jesus who encounters a woman who had been bleeding nonstop for 12 straight years. And you know that in those biblical days what that meant. Not just that she had a terrible physical condition, but to all those around her, she was full of disgust and shame. She was unclean. She was an outcast. She was to be avoided at all cost. And we see a woman whose faith was so great and a man whose power was so great that she knew that if I could just touch the very edge of his clothes, he can heal me. And he did. And she was cured. And she was clean. 
We see a Jesus who encounters a man named Jairus who has a 12-year-old little girl. He says, you've got to come quick. She's dying. And, and as only Jesus was prone to do, he didn't come quick. But then later we see in the Gospel of Mark where he says, your little girl's not dead. She's just asleep. I say, arise. And a dead person comes back to life. The same Jesus we see in the gospel is the one who died in our place and took the punishment in our place so that we don't have to. He was crushed so that we do not have to be crushed. He was scarred and wounded so that we do not have to be. Do you know that we are the only ones who worship a God who has wounds? This is the Jesus that we remember this day. So as I begin to wrap this up, I just thought it's worth reminding you and reminding me of these simple truths from God's Word. His grace means that He shows guilty people like you and me unmerited favor. He spares us of what we actually deserve. He gives us what we really do not deserve. Do not tell me that He is not a great and gracious King. And don't you dare fall for that lie in the midst of hardship. Hardship that God is not good. Today, come and trust the one who is trustworthy. Come and love the one who is most lovely. Come and glorify the one who is most glorious. And it may be today, like, like I've had to this week and getting ready for today, that I, we may have to repent of our failure to see him for who he really is. And I want to live my life, and I suspect you do too, I want to live my life in light of and in line with the reality of our great and gracious King. See, our God is a fierce God and an outrageous God who blazes through all of time and blazes through all of eternity and then reaches down and gently touches us on the face and he says, I love you. Do not be afraid. You're my child. I am your God, and I will always be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am your shelter. I am your very strength. So I want you to trust me. I want you to love me. I want you to obey me. And I want you to worship me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, these words are so simple sometimes. And sometimes it almost seems strange that your truth can be so clear, but we struggle with it. Lord, we confess to you today as brothers and sisters in Christ for times when we failed to recall and failed to truly believe that you are as good as you actually are. You are as good as you say that you are in your word. Help us never to forget that, Lord. Help us to be a man and a woman and a young person that lives our life in line with that reality that we worship a great God. We worship a gracious and good God. You are our king and we are your people. We bow our hearts, we bow our heads, we bow our very knees to you this day. We don't deserve you, but we say thank you, Lord, for walking across time and reaching out and choosing us and picking us up out of our filth and out of our disobedience. Lord, this place is yours, this time of worship, and this time that we've had in, in your word 
It's all for you. It is all about you. It is all to you. And we know it's all through you too, Lord. We love you. And in King Jesus' name, we pray to you this day. Amen. Amen.